<laughs> you have a large stash of, of various things, I'm, I'm thinking. Yes, I have a lot of, of art supplies. I'm part of the posse. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Art Supply Posse. This little chat with Julia, we are talking about a few things that I think are common to artistic people, artists. You know, we're sort of talking about calling ourselves an artist, being comfortable with telling people that we are potters, photographers, you know, painters. Um, Yeah, I, I think you might find this, I hope you find this discussion interesting. It's certainly a topic that has come up uh, with a number of people I've spoken to, not just for the podcast itself, but just, you know, just in general chatting to other people that are artistic and their concerns about saying that they are a painter or, or whatever it is that they do. Um, or conversely, some people don't have a problem with it at all. So we just sort of thought it would be great to chat about these things and um, just just art in general and art life in general. So I do hope you enjoy this little chat of ours. Um, I have Julia Scott here with us today, tonight, and um, I'm really looking forward to this chat. I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, I would like to hear from you guys, though. If uh, you know you'd like to leave some comments um, on iTunes or wherever you do your rating, or even on the Art Supply in Action uh, forum, if you'd like to know what you think about this this interview, but also all our others, we'd love to get your feedback. So, Julia, thank you for taking time out to speak with us today. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start off with who is Julia Scott? <laughs> I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. <laughs> like, like if you do a quick Google search, like Julia Scott is a small uncommon herb found in the Amazon. <laughs> Julia Scott is a breed of horse extinct many years. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I am a Swedish writer and journalist and podcaster and potter. So I have a podcast called Make Do that I make with Tiff Arment, where we talk about art and making and (laughs) thoughts and feelings. Uh, And I have a small pottery company called Semi-Cool Ceramics, where I sell weird and interesting uh, and pretty stuff at markets and online. I call it pottery with personality. I make a lot of uh, tentacle-handled mugs and profanity mugs and... uh, all sorts of weird stuff. They're cool. <laughs> I've checked them out and I've gone, ooh, wish list, okay. <laughs> uh, so how did you come to be a potter? It, it, it does seem like, you know, if you're on Instagram or whatever, there's everybody seems to be art journaling or they're doing, you know, one thing or another. How, pottery doesn't seem quite as popular but maybe that's just me maybe I don't know that it is how how did you come to this world of pottery well I think pottery is pretty popular online Uh, of course like my my feed is obviously biased but I think it's because it's one of those things that isn't as accessible as many other art forms because uh for a lot of pottery you need tools and supplies that aren't as readily available like you can I mean you can slab build and roll and stuff but you still need a kiln or access to a kiln if you're going to throw you need a wheel and it's it's not something that you do you know you pick up and put down like say knitting or uh, 
you know, watercolor painting or something. Uh, for me, it was, I mean, about 15 years ago or more at this point, uh, my mom had been talking for a long time that she wanted to take a pottery class. And I was uh, getting coffee with a friend one day and saw in the bathroom one of those, you know, tear off a uh, little piece sheet uh, talking about classes. Mm. And so uh, I told my mom and she said, okay, I'll do it if you'll come with me. And I kind of just never left. <laughs> so I kept going to that studio with that teacher for a long time. Uh, and I just, I loved it. And then uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to sublet a studio space in the city, which I did to see because I, I wanted to really see like, okay, is this something that I can, A, can and will spend more time on very much on my own schedule and if I produce at larger volumes, is this something that people would want to buy? Turns out the answer to both is yes. Uh, <laughs> so then I uh, built a studio in in my basement in an old garage. So now I have uh, an at-home studio, which is amazing. And I just can't stop. <laughs> it's an addiction, perhaps. It is. It is. I think for me, it's it's so... It's so physical and visceral. A part of it is is very much being a small child and be like, oh, it's goopy and sticky and messy because it is. And and there are so few times in your life, like maybe when you're baking or cooking, but usually you don't get to get all up in the mess with your hands. Uh, and that's very satisfying. And you're just, when you're throwing, your whole hands have to touch the clay most of the time. And I think... I mean, to get very sort of pop scientific about it, I think that's very good for you to, to stimulate the nerves in your hands in that kind of way, uh, which is true for a lot of different crafts. But with, with clay, there's something so very, you're so intimately connected to the material, for better or for worse. I have very dry hands. Um, <laughs> and it's it's... It's both a very forgiving and unforgiving medium because as you're throwing, you can you can correct things and you can experiment, but it also can just collapse even when you thought you were being careful. So it's it's very much. I've, I've joked sometimes that for me it's sort of like yoga that you you have to be very present and you have to be very conscious and aware of what you do you can't start thinking about tons of other stuff because you're gonna either you or the clay is gonna fall over um and so it is um it's it's kind of meditative as well um and then of course as you get better you can start to allocate parts of your brain to thinking about other things uh but not 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 all of it so you have to be be in it because like I, I knit for instance, and I can knit while watching TV, depending on what I'm knitting uh, or knit while talking to other people. But I have to be much more there with the clay. And also something that is a frustration, but I think is very good for me is that clay is also unforgiving in that you can't, you don't set the timeline uh, because when you make something out of clay, it has to, dry to a certain point before you can manipulate it or do certain things to it. Like when you have to trim the feet or attach handles, like that's, it's on a timeline that you can 
control a little bit through, you know, heat or whatnot. But generally, you just have to wait. Otherwise, you're going to ruin things. And then it has to dry to a certain point before you can put it in the kiln. Otherwise, it's going to explode because there's still water in it. And then after that, you have to wait for the kiln to cool. If you open it too quickly, things can crack and break. And then you have to glaze things. And again, they have to go in the kiln and you have to uh, make sure that you've cleaned up the bottom so they don't stick to the shelves. And then again, you have to wait for the kiln to run its co- Like it's very much, if you have a, a market come up suddenly, if you don't have enough stuff, you don't. Like I have friends, you know, they can stay up all night and make things for a market. And I, I can't because mm-hmm. just physics, <laughs> which is <laughs> for someone like me, who's, who's very sort of impatient and go, go, go. It, that's also very, very good and it's it's not forgiving like i had something explode in the kiln just last week because it was not quite dry enough um and that was a good reminder that uh you you do have to wait like there are the the laws of physics apply uh and yeah it's 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 the sort of it's very sort of self-helpy like it tells you a lot of things about yourself and about uh about making and that you have to accept both who you are and who you aren't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is all of that, is that why pottery appeals to you? Like you mentioned knitting and obviously myself having listened to your podcast, I know you do other creative things, but pottery is the main, like that's, you know, an addiction perhaps, as we said, a good one. (laughs) Are those the reasons, like, are those things you just described, is that why you like it so much or is, is there something else to it again? Like, what is it that just keeps you there, do you think? I think I think it is partly those things, that just the making of it is good for me in certain ways. And then also it has, it takes it takes a certain kind of commitment just to do things. Like, I, I have to, because we talk on Make Do quite a bit about, making time for and promising yourself time for things and, and sort of allowing yourself to be worth taking the time. And you can't really go down there for 15 minutes because it is, you have to do a lot of setup and then it's very messy. So I think part of it is that as well. And then it's very, things that come out are very real. Uh, and I can't fake it. Like a lot of other arts and crafts, you can, sort of half-ass it a little bit uh mm-hmm. and it can still come out really well and people who don't know what it is will still think it's nice or not care mm-hmm. um but I think also because I've been able to see such a progression like e- even when I sort of get stuck on a plateau and are frustrated I can still see progression and I can always find new things to experiment with um I don't know. I, th- I think you know we 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 live in an age where people really really appreciate things that are that are real and take real effort and real practice that aren't just like well I looked I could you know I think it's amazing that you can learn things from a, a video tutorial, uh, but I think a lot of the times people want something a little bit more than that something that that took more than a tutorial that has taken years. And I think that's maybe a little bit of it for me too, that this is a a commitment. I'm also like maybe over over 
analyzing this like it's it could have been something else possibly like this is not either a or the magical thing but i think parts of it are that it's it's so physical it's so messy uh it's it takes time which really should be like some of this should be stuff that i hate because i do want results and i do want to get good and impressive really really quickly um maybe it's all i love i love tea and I love drinking out of things that I've made myself. Uh, and I think that's also Yeah, and I think that's also part of the the reaction that the things you make people understand and appreciate and use. Like mugs for a lot of people are a very personal and important thing. So when you make a mug for someone or they you know they buy it and you know that that is gonna be an important part of their life and their day, and that's really, really cool. Um and and if you if you make a painting, for instance, it can be a very important part of their home and an important, you know, experience uh, and, and uh, expression of them and their home. But a mug is, it's right there, uh, and it's in their hand and in their mouth, which sounds disgusting now that I put it like that. But it's. No, it doesn't. I think it makes it <laughs> special in many ways. It's really yeah. personal. It's really personal. And it's it's a very sort of everyday item. And and it has a tradition that's, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Like when I I was in London at the Victorian Albert Museum and I saw this uh, prayer jug that I think was six or 7,000 years old. And both the shape and the glaze looked almost uh, identical to a glaze that I have in my studio, this pale blue. And it was just like, I know that they made it using a similar technique uh, and they burned it. And it's just having that as well to be able to see things that have survived for that long. Because uh, a lot of, you know, our techniques are similar, but they evolve and the materials evolve. But clay is is clay. It's dirt, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really. I mean, it changes, but it doesn't really change like that part of it. It's probably fairly similar to 6,000 years ago, I would imagine. Yeah, hopefully slightly less lead in the dirt. Well, yeah, one would hope so. <laughs> so can you take through through us a little bit about, let's say someone, you know, they listen to this and they think and they have a look on your website and they, they actually quite like the idea of maybe learning it themselves. Like can you can you take us through a little bit, as for the uninitiated, like I don't know anything about it other than images I've seen, and you know, and of course, having having pottery, having cups and whatnot in my house, obviously. <laughs> but um, like, you know, is it is it something? Can you control the outcome? Particular, like obviously, you were saying about needing to wait for things to dry and be everything. But like, in terms of, do you sit down with a plan of what? type of mug you're going to make for example or is it a lot more organic does it sort of just happen as it happens kind of thing does that make sense <laughs> well I mean when when you're learning for a long time it's it's gonna be it's gonna be what what's gonna be you can't really control it I mean for a long time you're gonna be frustrated at um, how long it takes to center a ball of clay on the wheel how long it takes you to uh, pull up the walls without making everything go off center, going too thick or too thin. Um, for some people, it's much faster. For some people, it takes a long time. But either way, in the beginning, you're going to have a lot of very small, very thick and heavy 
sort of <laughs> espresso cups that weigh half a pound. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, I mean, it's definitely something where you do want to have an instructor, and regardless of the fact that you need access to to a studio with with the right um, sort of equipment. Uh, I mean, when I sit down, I can definitely, I, I, you know, I decide like I'm going to make bowls that are going to be this size, this shape, and then depending on my mood, sometimes I will still uh, let let the clay take me or my failures or, or whatever. Um, I personally, uh, I can sit down and make eight or ten identical mugs. I generally don't because, like I said, I've realized that mugs are such a personal thing with size and shape and the size and shape of handles. So I like to have a large variety when I go to markets because I want people to, a lot of times people sort of laser in on the one that's theirs or they lift up every mug on the table until they find theirs or they pick up one and then they try all the, and they come back to it because that's theirs. I, it's kind of like that uh, when, when, you know, you're trying out the wands in Harry Potter, when you find the one that's right in your hand, you're going to get the sparks. <laughs> so I like making a lot of different sizes and shapes because I like being there when people find find theirs. Uh, or for that matter, when they say, okay, I want this one, but I would want it a little higher or I want the handle a little different. And I can go, I can do that. <laughs> um, but it is, it is, it's a very, or it can be a very frustrating craft to to try to take up because there is a lot of failing in the beginning. And then there will be a lot of plateauing, especially when you want to sort of evolve and make bigger things or taller things or more complicated things. And I mean, it's it's a heavy craft, like centering several pounds or several kilos of, of clay can be very uh, taxing. And uh, you have to work the clay, you have to work to reclaim and reprocess old clay. Although that is something that is very cool about this craft is that most of the material is reusable. So all the clay and slurry that comes off as you're working or things that collapse, you let them dry a little bit, you knead them back up, uh, you you can rework it into usable clay, which is very cool and mm. usually not possible with with a lot well, of other arts and crafts. Like yeah. dried dried paint is usually dried okay. up paint or um, tiny scraps of fabric. Sure, you can use them in a quilt, but they're not going to make a dress. Whereas no. uh, you can make tons of little scraps of clay. You rework them into one big ball of clay, and then you can turn them into a, a, a giant base, which I think is kind of cool. Oh yeah, definitely. It, it's um, kind of like recycling, you know, reuse, recycle. That's cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. that and I mean, really- especially, especially considering that parts of it aren't that environmentally friendly. Like the the glazes are all kinds of different oxides, and it takes quite a bit of energy in the kiln. Both uh, first when you're just um, doing a, a bisque firing, and then the second time when you glaze, you go up to you know, 11, 12, 1300 degrees centigrade, that's quite a bit of energy. Um, and some of the, some of the glazes before, before they've been, um, fired can be, um, if not toxic, then at least not good for the environment. So you do have to be very careful about how you keep your shop. Hmm. I wasn't aware of that. Is it, um, like you talking, do you need 
protective things when you when you're using like you know um, like face face masks and things like that, or is it not not at that level of toxicity as such? It is kind of at that level. It's not always even about the toxicity, uh, but that some potters will get, I think it's called silicoidosis, where the fine, fine grain of both like just the clay powder and sometimes the glaze powder as well will attach to the inside of the lung and start hardening them, uh, which can happen in a lot of different fields of work. Uh, But you do have to be careful because there's so much powder and fine dust. So Mm. in theory, you should wear a face mask with a lot of the parts of the process, like cleaning your studio, uh, mixing up glazes, and then different potters adhere to different levels of of (laughs) care. But yeah, there are parts of it that are, again, like even when it's not toxic, just the the debris can be, uh, can be harmful. Well, fascinating. It also sounds to me like it might be a good workout, all this, lifting and moving of clay and things that would be like going to the gym in many ways lifting weights parts of it are (laughs) parts of it are and I will I do find that if I haven't been in the studio for a while uh I will you get very weird soreness like the uh the whole lower part of your arm just like one side of it the muscles will be tired or you'll you'll do something weird with your shoulders because you sit hunched over and you're pushing forward uh, or you're doing, you sort of lock fingers into weird position without thinking about it. Uh, and I do find that because I, I teach uh, friends sometimes, like on a very sort of small scale. And, and I have to remember to warn them, like you're going to have soreness in just like weird quadrants of muscles that you haven't thought about before. Uh, you're not dying. You're fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, like lifting, lifting. 10 kilo bags of clay and I buy quite a number at a time. So you have to, you know, lift them into the car, lift them out of the car, carry them down to, and then stack them and then lift them back (laughs) up when you have to get to them. And then you're uh, doing these big kneadings of pounds and pounds of clay to, to reclaim. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a workout. Um, But I I try to think of, of ergonomics. I don't always, (laughs) Uh, but I, I try to think at least like I'm sitting on a different part of my butt than when I'm yeah. working at the computer. So that's something at least. But I know I know a lot of I know a lot of potters who do try to make sure to go to the gym and work both of those same muscles and all the sort of stabilizing muscles around because it is really easy to uh, wear yourself out if you're not aware of just like trying to sit in a good way. Mm-hmm. There are people who who throw standing the same way that people stand at standing desks, which I think is oh, fun. Wow, that's it. Yeah, I know that sounds really. Would that that would be difficult to get used to? I would imagine if you. Learn yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think part of it is like it can be better for you because you're not leaning over uh, yep. over the wheel. But also you could get like more of your weight behind you when you're centering the clay. And I am I'm very impressed that it, we're, you know, 20 minutes in and you have yet to make a ghost joke. <laughs> I have thought of it and I've just thought, you know what? No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I I like to say that, you know, if I if I had a if I had even 10 cents for every ghost oh. joke, I would never have to go to market again. Um but it's actually really funny one of the potters that I follow on on Instagram uh posted recently because there was a um 
somebody put up Ghost as a theater show here, and the potter that I follow had had a workshop for the actors to learn to throw for that scene in the show, which I thought was oh, really fun. Of course. Isn't it funny? You don't even think of that. Like, you just watch these movies and these iconic things like that scene. But, yeah, someone would have had to have taught them how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, with with knitters, there's a lot of frustration about knitting on TV or on stage where you can see that someone else has sort of knit a scarf up to that point and then the actor is very often just sort of waving confusedly with sticks uh, <laughs> or, or the such. Uh, but it's a lot harder to fake throwing <laughs> because it's yeah, going to be very <laughs> obvious that you're just, there's just clay everywhere. <laughs> much the same as when I get frustrated when I see people supposedly writing or to- yeah they're at a computer and they're writing and you're just like you're not that's not typing you're just you're just randomly banging key like this is not this is not real and I'm not even the world's greatest typer and it frustrates me so <laughs> oh no definitely like when when I, I used to be a, a tv journalist and always when we would sort of film each other typing to illustrate <laughs> typing as one does in a new segment you do have to type something and i mean it's usually just still nonsense like oh here i am and i am typing and it is tuesday and i want lunch but you have to do it for real otherwise it does look like a a monkey at a typewriter um but uh, but also also what people forget is that a lot of pottery can be done without the tools like you i keep talking about the wheel but you do have people who you know they slab build or uh, roll or thumb things and also a lot of sculpture so I've, I've always really loved making weird little sculpty things like excuse me I've always loved making weird little you know sculpture things like making little animals and people with all sorts of kids clay like with them um, I think now it's called uh, FIMO clay or with I don't know what you call in English the stuff that you make with just like salt and uh, flour uh- and Trying to think because I did it as a kid. Uh, it was huge. In, in Swedish, we call it troll, though, which is funny. Okay, <laughs> I think you know what I think we just called it bread dough. Is what we used to call. I'm sure of it. I remember taking. You're reminding me now. I remember taking classes and I loved it. And we did it at home. I'm thinking. I think we just called them bread dough, and we mm-hmm. we did lots of dolls for whatever <laughs> reason. Dolls were huge. My goodness. Yeah, and I just, I, I loved, I've always, since I was a little kid, I've always been very sort of artsy and I love to draw and I love to sculpt. And I, I love, I, I should do much more of it uh, in the studio as well, just like doing both little sculptures and big sculptures. Um, because that's, that's valid as well. Like you, you get that weird divide between sort of useful pottery and art pottery. And I think that they can overlap a lot more. Um like I love making weird little cats to sit on a, a box. That that's my thing really. Like I my my pottery teacher used to joke that at least once per sort of class session or class segment, I would make her sort of, you know, sit back and shake her head and laugh because I just wanted to make I would have <laughs> ideas where she was just like, Okay. So I, I made I made a, a sort of weird steampunk teapot where everything looked like it was pieces of metal put together with all these weird affixions or affixations I don't know but they were like all put together with weird ways and the the knob on the lid was like a a bolt and and I just think it's fun to to do that kind of thing as well to see like what can you do that's totally quote-unquote wrong for this medium or what can you do that is uh 
both cute and angry. Like I make pink mugs with curse words on them and sometimes in cursive font, like that kind of thing. And I think it's just fun to play with that kind of stuff and to play with ideas of, and it's the same like with, with knitting, you see people who do, you know, also curse words or uh, genitals or uh, just, it's, it's fun to, confused maybe but also to experiment like what what can I do with this and um my husband and I talk a lot about like how can we combine uh engineering wood or for that matter engineering electronics like how can we combine weird things together either to make it useful or to make it interesting Mm. Mm. I think it's a good it's 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 confronting sometimes to see a medium, whatever it is, whether it's pottery or something else, and your expectation is it of to be this thing, and then the creative person behind it has gone, well, I really like this thing, but I'm going to put a curse word on it or <laughs> I'm going to subvert it in some way, and it it stops you and it makes you reassess it and I think in a way maybe even appreciate it more, you know, mm-hmm. when you see it. Thing and then suddenly it, it it breaks it shatters that expectation that you have of a, of a mug for example you know um, and then you go oh that's even that's even cooler than I thought originally <laughs> you know when I saw the other the nice ones that didn't have the language or whatever I, yeah there's just something about that that I think I mean I'm sure probably everyone doesn't appreciate it but I know a lot of people <laughs> do it's just yeah. And what's funny is that sometimes you will discover things that you hadn't thought of. Like, for instance, my tentacle-handled mugs. I just make them – I made the first one, you know, over 10 years ago because, you know, again, I had a weird idea. (laughs) And then I've discovered people have told me that they're actually really great as a sort of uh, accessibility tool because the way the handle is balanced, if you have – uh, rheumatism, if you have swollen joints or weakness in your joints or hands, you can – a, you can fit more fingers in there without burning your knuckles against the side of the mug, and because you can hold with more fingers, and because the way it's balanced, it it, it compensates for any weakness in the joint. So they, I have you know both both um, older people and younger friends with with joint problems to say like when I have a flare up, this is the only mug I use, not just because I like it, but because I I can use it. And that's amazing that to, yeah. to find out. And the same, like when I make some other bigger handles as well, to be able to fit. Uh, if, if you're not a proper lady and you want to hold your mug with more than more than you know one or two fingers, that you can fit it properly, and not burn yourself. And so many little things like that that you don't think. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not a product engineer, but I have, you know, developed and evolved certain things when I realized, like, okay, this handle is really nice to hold. But if the mug is too full, uh, the balance is weird. So mm. I don't, you know, drink out of every mug I make, but I do try to keep stuff every now and then just to see, like, okay, so this is not not a great because you don't always get that feedback from people. Yeah. So, so is that like if you were to come up with a new, well, not necessarily a new, but a, a different style of mug, for example, or a different shape, or even for a bowl or something, would that be something you would do? You would. You would create it and then actually use it before letting it out into the wild, so to speak, to make sure that it is going to hold, you know, the liquid properly or, or whatever. And it feels it feels good as well as works as it's supposed to. I try to. Uh, yeah. 
because because again like you don't know and because what's kind of funny about pottery and this goes bo- both for like the the models that you make or for uh you know glazes or whatever you usually you make a bunch at a time so like i can make a couple of prototypes but i still have to wait a week or two for again all that drying and glazing and and, and getting ready and also to fill a kiln because you don't want to run a half empty kiln so sometimes if you're impatient and you try the same thing on a bunch of things at once you might waste you know one or two weeks work because it turns out the whole kiln is now you know the the glaze bubble weird and you can't it's not food safe or those handles are horrible to hold or everything cracked and i've i've actually i've considered getting a tiny kiln that's like two or three mugs big just so i can do either those experiments or quick quick uh, custom orders yeah. um but yeah cuz you you don't you don't always uh you don't always know like a a, a bowl might seem really great but then you realize that I don't know. You have to be more careful about the bottoms because there's tiny ridges in it, and e- any spoon will scrape along those, and it's going to be a horrible sound yeah. or something. I'm trying to think of all of the things that I have done wrong across my career. <laughs> <laughs> or you make, or you make the lips, and some of it is about personal taste. Like uh, some people like really, really thin lips of mugs. Some people like them thicker. Some people want them to flare in or out. Uh, I've had a, a custom order that I'm going to work on after the new year of one that flares in very, very tightly so that it doesn't spill so that it's almost like a, um, a commuter mug. Um, and I really love that too. When people, uh, someone messages me, I, I made uh, earlier in the year, I made a custom sort of witch's cauldron where I had to experiment <laughs> with uh, a rolled brim where you sort of, you, when you're, um, when you're pulling the rim, you then bend it outward and roll it in on itself, but you have to make sure not to catch too much air because again, explosion. And then, like, <laughs> what shape do you make? Because a lot of the time, when you're when you're working with um, certain shapes, like when I've made weird penguin mugs, you have to find a balance between emulating a shape, but that's still useful for what it is. Uh-huh. Because sometimes, if 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 the shape is wrong, like you will either spill on yourself or it's not comfortable to get your your lips around the rim or the handle is weird, that kind of thing. And that can take a lot of iterations, which are super frustrating, but also a lot of fun. Yeah. I bought, you just reminded me, I bought myself a mug years ago with, I, I like elephants and it's just a, a white mug, but the the handle is an elephant and the head sits over the rim and it looks fabulous. And then I went Do you to hit yourself in the face with it. Oh yeah. <laughs> so so that's the thing for storing pens in now because you just can't use it. <laughs> it's beautiful, but it's not practical. <laughs> yeah, and I've actually had specifically that with with uh, tentacle handles that I have to always sort of try one or two from a batch when they're similar to see like does will this hit you in the face or not? Because to me, it's just like well, this is a nice shape, and then I forget that somebody has to has to use, use it. it. Yeah, <laughs> I also have to remember be- that. Not everyone drinks bathtubs of tea the way I do, so I have to make sure to make them. Not Not everyone wants the world's biggest mug. Some people like, I don't know why, but some people like small. (laughs) (laughs) They must be crazy people. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's funny, though, because, like I said, people like things that are real and people love mugs. And I think pottery is one of those weird arts where it's, it's very much one of those, like, well, it looks effortless. 
if you know how to do it. So sometimes people appreciate that it's hard work and that it takes a long time to get good. And sometimes people don't really think about it. Like some people won't think about it and other people will be like, wow, you, you made that you, you did that. And it's very much like in the, like I said, in the beginning, it will take you a long time with every step. Whereas now I can make the body of a mug in five or six minutes. And then there's still a lot of work left, but that, you know, that doesn't mean that it's, simple work because there's a lot of preparation but also you know it, t- it took 15 years to get there That's uh, <laughs> and yeah. and I think also what, what I've considered is I think also once you start getting really good and also you start selling things then it's not as impressive anymore because then I think people see you as a professional you know like okay. if you're if you're just a home hobbyist and you make a chair that's impressive if you're a carpenter it can be cool but it's not impressive really? in the same yeah. way do you know what I mean yeah, um, I and because wrong. it is some and because I do mostly make household useful things mm. maybe they're not and it's because part of me is like well I don't want to impress I just want to make things nice things that people like but at this I do want I do want people to think that I'm amazing and impressive uh we, we joked <laughs> we we coined the the phrase on make do I am achiever please notice because I, I do feel like that sometimes, but I think I get a lot more appreciation for the pottery than for instance, for the knitting, because with knitting, people don't understand which techniques are impressive or not. It's just like a sort of blanket, like, okay, wow, you, you made a, a sweater. And especially when you've been doing it for a while and they're like, you made another sweater. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think because when I wrote my first book, which it came out five years ago. Uh, it's in Swedish. You know, people are like, wow, you wrote a book. And some people will be like, wow, you've written two books. Whereas other people are like, well, yeah, you're a writer. That's what you do. Not yeah. impressive anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I hated myself for a year. I want all the accolades. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's funny how we do that as humans, isn't it? Oh, just so easily change from being impressed after the first one and then the second one, you're like, yeah, nah, well, whatever. Come on. <laughs> expected that from you what do you mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I don't know if I should just start picking up new artsy hobbies twice you know every two years so I can just until the point where people see improvement and then move on yeah I mean if if you look at if you look at my my uh, craft room and my shelves you might think that's the case (laughs) you have a large stash of, of various things I'm I'm thinking yes I have a lot of of art supplies I'm part of the posse. <laughs> and and I mean, part of it is just that like, it's fun to have anything you might feel like doing. Part of it is that dream of like, if I buy the supplies, that also buys me the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is fun to just like, well, I want to do a weird perler bead thing. I have that. But, yeah, so I can. but I do sometimes feel like maybe I should pass it on to someone else and focus on. I've I've seen on those like, organizing shows that you need to pick two crafts oh. and crafters everywhere like what what how do you yeah. wait just no, like no. Two, two balls of yarn what do you what do you mean <laughs> that's just not reality have you have you ever played with clay um no oh well sorry i would ha- i did as a child i recall doing it this conversation has reminded me i recall doing it in primary school in art class making it would have been bowls and things like that and more than once like we did it more than once i know that much goodness knows whatever happened to them 
um, probably the rubbish bin, I would suspect. But uh, <laughs> but I remember it being a lot of fun, like just as you were saying, that physical getting dirty fun. Like I love to garden and that's part of why I like gardening is you just hands in the dirt and, you know, yeah, there's just something about that I really quite enjoy and, I yeah, I think that would be fairly similar, that, that whole, like, I know when you're painting and things like that, you've, you've got a paintbrush, but it's not, well, I mean, like you can use your fingers, I guess, finger painting, but it's <laughs> not the same. It's just not quite the same as I would imagine clay would be and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, like it's 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 less precious, I think. Yes. Uh, and I, if if there was if there's like a word that's precious that doesn't sound as as judgmental because I didn't mean it that way. It's just like it's 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 just it's in there. Like with with painting, it's it's easier to, and I think for better or worse, just like do little doot doots for a long time, which is good and can be a really interesting process. But with clay, it's like well you. You get in there and you do the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So curiosity is leading me to ask this. On the odd occasion that there is an explosion or something goes wrong, <laughs> what do you do with that? Is that just rubbish bin? Like is that basically what all you can do with it or is there some weird world where it can be reused somehow or other for some other craft maybe? I don't know. <laughs> well, uh there's a couple of answers. In in theory, when when something has been bisque fired, it's it's called bisque or biscuit in different parts of the world. But basically, the first firing when things are get mostly almost all of the way chemically dry, so to speak, uh, when those things explode, you can uh, actually take those pieces and grind them up and put them into clay to make grit. For instance, oh. I don't because I don't like grit; it tears my hands up. Yeah, and when things break uh in the glaze firing or that aren't good enough to use uh again you you can if you want you could break them up and do mosaics with them um depending on how bad they are sometimes i just use them for like flower pots or stuff like that i i throw most of it away which is which is sad but i i keep very like i keep some seconds for myself uh and sometimes i give stuff away to like friends who i know uh, it, it sounds bad to be like I give up. I, I give away the stuff that's not quite good enough to sell, but they know what it is. Like, well, this one small flaw that I feel that I don't yeah. think a buyer might necessarily notice, but that I don't feel comfortable yes. Yes. asking for money. And also, I know people feel very differently about it. Uh, <laughs> sometimes my mental process is that uh, if I know that if I was going to put this on Instagram, for instance, I would have to make sure to only photograph it from another angle. And I can't trust a buyer to get the right picture <laughs> that I don't want. Like if it's something that would be noticed if someone else posted a picture. Uh, but no, it's, it, it, it has to go. And I mean, that's, that's the way it is. And it feels sad, especially if, if it's something, again, if it's a small flaw that really probably only I or someone else who's knowledgeable would notice, yeah. But but that's the way it is, and yeah. I mean I I do reuse and reclaim almost all of the clay before it goes into the bisque kiln, so yeah. at least it's not like yeah. you know pounds wasted. and pounds and pounds. So yeah. and I you know you you get less and less loss, uh, but then you also get pickier and pickier as you get better. <laughs> so it's a kind of kind of balance. 
But it's probably, like I know you say it, it's sad that, you know, your flaws might be minor for no one other than you perhaps or those close to you would know it or, or someone that does it. But by the same token, I think it's probably also a good thing because you are selling your work. You've reached a point where you are confident enough to be selling your work. So you've got to have a kind of set of standards, you know, where you're like, well, this is representing me and 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 what I do and, and yes, your business as well. So you, I don't think you'd be comfortable if you let things not slip, well, slip through, you know, if you just went, oh, look, I know it's there but no one else would see that flaw so I'll just let it through. Like I don't think you could, you would probably not be happy with yourself, I think, if that was something you did. Yeah, no, definitely. And also, because it's, it's funny, we started out this thing of like, well, I'm a potter and how did that come to be? And it's only been in the past few years that I felt comfortable saying that I'm a potter or a ceramicist. Yeah. Uh, and, and that came after even I started to sell the first stuff for a long time because you have that thing of like, well, it's not, it's not a protected title. <laughs> uh, mm. But I felt like it came with some, some weight but also like we, we talk and make do about like capital A artists. Like how do you, when do you get to feel that way? When do you get to claim that? Um, but yeah, before when it was very much like a hobby, even when it was a big hobby, I felt probably more comfortable selling stuff, even when I could see maybe that it was slightly flawed and sometimes couldn't because mm-hmm. sort of that was what was promised, you know, like I'm a hobby potter. I'm a, I'm a yes. prolific and fairly talented hobby potter or hobby maker. Uh, but now this is sort of part of what I do and I'm not, I don't, people ask sometimes like, so is this how you make a living? And it's not, but it's a not insignificant fraction of, yes. of my income. Yeah, uh, that's right. And, and, and yeah, like it's, I, I do feel that, like you say, it, it represents me and a sort of pride in what I do. And there are times when I sort of want to, uh, call up some of the people that I sold to or gave things to in the beginning and be like, can I, can I replace it with something that's better? <laughs> Please. Thank you. Um, but I mean, there's nothing out there that I'm ashamed of. I just wouldn't want it to represent my skills now, but like, yeah. you know, I did this when I'd been doing it for a few years. I'm also, I'm fairly unsentimental with things. Like I have the very first tentacle mug that I made. I still have, of course. And I have the first one I made in my own studio, um, but everything else, I'm just like, well, I've, I've, I've gotten tired of this. I don't need it, and I don't need to keep things that are decent. Like I, I use bowls to organize my life, but I don't need, you know, all the bowls in the world. So for a while, if you know nobody likes it, uh, nobody wants to buy it. Nobody wants to buy it even at a discount. None of my friends want it. I can toss it. I can uh, sometimes I'll, I'll donate them, but that also feels weird. Cause then someone will have the thing that wasn't quite good enough if they buy it for, you know, a dollar or two, but I don't know. I, I, I don't even know what the, what the right answer is, but yeah. I do feel cool when other people talk about me as a potter. And yeah. when I feel sort of the, the, the nerve to say that I'm a, I'm a potter. That's one of the things that I do. Is there anything you wanted to add? Any, you know, do you want to say anything about go to juliascott.com or any of that sort of? I forgot, I forgot all about it. I got sidetracked. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you can, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at juliascott and at semicoolceramics. Uh, and semicoolceramics.com, you will get to my online store. I ship worldwide. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do custom work 
And I'm an artist. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Julia, so much for taking your time. I really appreciate it. I do hope you enjoy this little chat of ours. Um, I'd love to hear from you. You know, let us know what you think about it, whether you want to just reach out to us um, on email or, you know, tweet at us or Instagram or over on the Art Supply in Action uh, forum. We would really love to hear from you guys and to see what it is that, um, you know, is this a problem that you have? Is this something you've never had a problem with? Did this uh, help you at all listening to this or, you know, whatever? We would love your feedback. Thank you.